Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. On Monday, I didn't exist and uh, had 115 Twitter followers. 115. Three digits. And uh, today, I think I have uh, close to 20,000 or something. Ridiculous. I just followed you on the way in here, so I know exactly. Yes, <laughs> thank, you, thank you. A pretty big jump in only four days. Alex Holder has been all over the news this week. He came to Washington on Thursday for a closed-door deposition in front of the House Select Committee investigating January 6th. Soon after he finished testifying, we met at his hotel. Holder walked into the lobby with a private security guard, a sign of just how drastically his life had changed. On Monday, my colleague Eugene Daniels and I got a tip. And it was a good one. A new piece of information about the January 6th investigation. I'm Ryan Lizza. This is Playbook Deep Dive. In the run-up to the 2020 election, and for months afterward, Holder, who was a filmmaker, shot hours of interviews with Trump and his inner circle, including the Trump kids and former Vice President Mike Pence. And somehow, almost no one had heard about it, even people closest to Trump. Holder was on Air Force One. He was at the White House. He was down at Mar-a-Lago. On January 6th, he and his cameraman were there filming as the mob attacked the Capitol. So, the House Select Committee learned about the project, and it subpoenaed Holder and his footage, and he turned over everything. The January 6th investigation is the biggest story in Washington right now, and everyone is trying to break the next piece of news about the committee's work. Eugene worked the phones and confirmed the tip. We broke the story of Holder's documentary and the subpoena and his scheduled deposition in Playbook on Tuesday. And Holder's life suddenly turned upside down. And his film, Unprecedented, just became an explosive new chapter in the January 6th committee's investigation. Everything leaks out of the Trump world, right? But very few people knew about this project. I happen to know about it because I had a random connection to your... Uh, to, to the person who shot a lot of the footage, but most people in and around Trump world that reporters rely on for the sort of inside uh, view of what is going on in that world, um, a lot of them did not know that this project was taking place. Why was that? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm really good at my job. <laughs> but but is it because you secured access through Kushner and so you kind of went around some of the press people? You know, or did, were there just not a lot of people around when you were recording or? I mean, thinking about this now, there may have been stuff going on by the Trump sort of family or, or organization, uh, administration, et cetera, that may have sort of kept people away from us. I mean, there were certain things that they did do, which sort of sort of struck me. I mean, I guess it, whether it struck me as odd at the time. I mean, I'd never interviewed the president of the United States before. So uh, well, tell us about the last time you saw Donald Trump 
um, and what your sort of final interactions with him were. I saw him uh, over a year ago in Bedminster and my interactions were pleasant. I mean, he was, uh, have you met Donald Trump before? Yeah. yeah. Well, what's your, what's your yeah. take on him? Well, I mean, the last, time, the last time I interviewed him was at Mar-a-Lago last year. And, you know, Trump is always, and I'm curious your opinion on this, he's always sort of um, working the angles, trying to figure out who you are, what's your background, how you're going to come at him, and he'll, you know, respond accordingly in, in the interview. Um, if you're a right-wing journalist, he'll play to that. If he, you know, if, if, he'll, um, he'll ask you a few questions about yourself. He doesn't care too much about people and their, their backgrounds, but he wants to know enough, um, in my experience, to be able to sort of um, know how to bullshit them, frankly. Mm. Um, it's extremely difficult to interview. Yeah. If he doesn't want to talk about a subject, he just doesn't talk about it. Yeah. You know, for instance, I tried to get him to talk quite a bit about what he was doing on January 6th, probably the 20th journalist that sat with him in Mar-a-Lago in that period trying to do that. And it was very, very difficult to get anything out of him. It was a lot of filibustering. Yeah. So that's why I'm curious, like, you know, did you build a rapport with him over time where you feel like, you you know, you broke through? Um, was he constantly trying to shape this documentary, you know? I think my approach to this was that the, the, the when you're making long-form documentary, the access and, and the relationships are important. And there are obviously topics and conversations and questions that, uh, people don't necessarily want to ask, answer or would rather avoid. And whilst they're still important to try and, 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 and to ask those questions, uh, th you know, there are other aspects to the story that are important as well to explore. So yeah, w with him, he did actually ans answer the questions I, I wanted. And, and maybe my approach was not to sort of follow up with the answers. And I think that was something that was interesting and in that he's much more used to a sort of somewhat combative uh, approach between himself and the person interviewing him. Whereas, that doesn't work. Right. I, I mean, I'm not going to change his mind, no, even though I have a British accent, right? So, like, the fact I may disagree with him or agree with him or whatever is, is, you know, is an irrelevance. At the end of the day, he gave his answer and we put his answer into the film. And then yeah. in terms of context, uh, obviously we have a responsibility to ensure that people understand the, the, the context and, and the reality. And when it comes to him, there are sometimes there are things which are obviously not true and you need to explain that. But yeah, I think he found it maybe odd that I wasn't sort of as uh, belligerent, let's say, as, as others and allowed him to sort of say his piece and, and then go away. And, 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 and like I said, we did nothing that isn't fair and honest uh, all the way through. Remember what your final uh, moments with him were like, or what his final thing that he said to you, either off camera or? No, I mean, uh, well, he did say that uh, he would uh, write a statement to support the, you know, to tell people to go and watch the film, uh, the series uh, when it's done, which I think is something that probably ain't going to happen. <laughs> you should probably, you're going to remind him to do that? Well, I mean, I, I uh, right now he's, uh, I, I don't think, I mean, his best books right now and, and it's really got nothing to do with me. I mean, I, he has to, he has to watch the, the series and once he watches the series, maybe he'll, uh, he'll give me a call. So tell us about today. You hand over this material to the committee. Have they had it for a long time? Have they? I, they've had it for, uh, I mean, since we were, well, with a plus or minus a few days of being subpoenaed and 
we could comply with it. So which started in. Uh... I have to double check the dates exactly because the last sort of I don't even know what day it is of the week today. Thursday, <laughs> so, yeah, you, is it actually Thursday. It is. Th- <laughs> You're I, serious, I, right? I, now. I'm actually being serious. Yeah, it is Thursday. <laughs> I thought it was Tuesday. I think it all starts on Tuesday. It started on Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, you know, truth be told, the the idea of this series, look, the series was always going to be a big, a big series, right? I mean, we had interviewed the president of the United States, yeah, um, whilst he was the president, and then after his kids it's a pretty unique situation uh never in a million years did i think that whilst making this at some point i'm going to be giving yeah i mean i have friends from london sending me pictures with captions you've been papped and there's pictures of me walking into like that office building yeah i mean it's just absolutely ludicrous what does papped mean uh, paparazzi take oh, it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. it's absolutely mad. I mean, I was saying to you before, right? I mean, uh, Monday, I Reporters shouting questions for you up, exactly. the, you up there. I mean, it's just insane. This doesn't happen from one day to the next. Absolutely bizarre. So tell us about your day today. <laughs> you, you're, this is behind closed door testimony yes. at 10 a.m. Thursday. Yeah. Um, how long did it last? Yeah, it was two hours and one minute. Um, give us a little bit, just describe the scene in the committee for people who don't understand what it's like to be deposed. Um, is it professional staff? Is it members of the Congress, the members of Congress who are on the committee that are asking the questions? It, it, it's uh, attorneys, so uh, professional staff, I imagine, is, is the right answer for that. Yeah. And also, this was actually what they call a transcribed interview, so uh, which is slightly different to a, to a sort of a, a deposition, I think. But oh, interesting. What's the difference? I, I, I have to ask uh, my attorney or a lawyer for that, but I just, I'm just pointing that point out. Huh. So, um, at, the, at the end of the day, you have to tell the truth. <laughs> so well, just, uh, to, I don't want to push too hard on this, but what do you think, what do you, think you gave them? Like, what do you think this um, changed about the course of the investigation? I, I, I don't know what it changed. We have the Ivanka perhaps contradiction. But what, what else? Because um, the chairman of the committee said the other day that he cited the example of this footage as one reason they'll be doing more public hearings in July. And he seemed to, you know, he mentioned some other stuff that's come, anonymous tips and, and, and the like. But he really seized on the information that you gave the committee as something that has changed its direction and requiring and has required them to do more public hearings in July. I, what do you I, think it was? I really, I don't know. You'd have to ask him. I, I really genuinely do not know. But based on what they played today, you must have some idea. Uh, so you said you weren't going to push me. <laughs> um, no, I really, honestly. Well, like, remember, you, <laughs> very historic day for you. You said it should, a documentary should be made about it. Yes. And this yeah. is the closest thing you're going to have. That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, touche. Okay. Um, what's your phone like since uh, for today? I mean, I was saying before, right? 16.7 thousand followers up from 112 on Monday. <laughs> 112. 112, not, which probably... Not 112. Them, yeah. 112 followers, the majority of them are probably my family. So, <laughs> you know. And spam bots. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, I mean, that, that uh, video we just posted, the one you're that's... getting a real-time update now. Well, so, okay, you guys just posted that on Twitter? The video of... Uh, Let's pull it up. Um, it is currently 824,000 views. Wow. Uh, I mean... Yeah. All right, I'm going to pull that up. Beautiful. Oh. I don't think you want to have the water in the picture, right? You can take it off. Yeah, yeah put it over there, Nick. When he uh, you know, came into the room, he sits down. Yeah, I might as well take it. And that's the moment when he starts obviously moving the, uh, 
the, the water glass around. He's producing the scene. Exactly. Oh, oh, good. Very good. Thank you. You know what you can do, Nick? Sure. Put the table back because it's missing something. Put the table back and put the water on the table without the thing on top of it. And then also it went on for quite a while as well. So it was uh, like, what exactly is going on? But what I think it does, okay. it shows sort of who look? he is as a person in quite an interesting way. Because you know, there are some that will say that he, what on earth is he doing and why is he moving this glass of water around? He's the sitting president of the United States in the White House. But there's also other people that will see him as being a producer, as somebody who's got attention to detail. So it's got sort of both aspects that sort of encompasses like the... The, the feelings towards him, which are so sort of black and white. You know, people either love him or they, or they don't love him. You, know? and I think you think some people will look at that scene and, and think this is this pathetic person producing it and others will actually respect the attention? Sure, exactly. Like, exactly like that, whose yeah. opinions about him are exactly. that polarized. Sure. And you know, I think the discourse today has been very much about sort of the, you know, the election. And, and I think my position on that, uh, I think you know, it's somewhat unfortunate, will potentially cloud the... You know what, what I think the film is in essence, which is a very fair portrayal, a very I think authentic portrayal of this uh, fascinating and sort of unique family. Uh, and I think people will take from it what they want. It will probably reinforce positions rather than sort of change minds with respect to the uh, with respect to the dynamics and with respect to sort of who they really are as people. Two stories, I wonder if you could just unpack for us, because you were in the middle of this history. One is, you're on Air Force One for the first time, you're supposed to interview the, the, the president, and what happens? So, I, I mean, my memory is, is that the chief of staff uh, sort of came over and, and said uh, that the interview couldn't happen today because the president was on the phone. And I believe, if I remember correctly, that he said that he was on the phone to the uh, president of Russia, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, which is why the interview had to be uh, postponed. So that's what happened on that particular day. Was that, what period was that? That was a few days before the election. It was about nine days or so before the election. And he was, and the president was on Air Force One on the phone with Putin. And so he canceled his interview with you. Yeah, which I think, to be honest, I think it's perfectly reasonable. <laughs> It's kind of fascinating that it was, Absolutely that fascinating. It was Putin yeah. at that. Have you gone back to see if that um, phone call was reported or documented in any oh, way publicly? I, 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 no, no. I mean, you know, this project... Has you know you're going to start some conspiracy theories now with that story. I mean, I'm sure the guy... A few days that. before the election and Putin calls? Yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, who knows? One other um, point of view. I want to get your point of view on another historic occasion that you witnessed, and that is January 6th. That seems to be one of the reasons the committee was interested in your footage is because you were there on January 6th and you were shooting. Um, tell us about that day from from your point of view. So what, what was interesting was that I had anticipated the day as sort of uh, the, the, the night before. I'd actually said to Michael uh, that sort of half joking that the president was going to get everyone to march on the, on the Capitol. Huh. And I think you know, the, the reason for that was because you know, based on, on on everything that had sort of happened over the course of my time following on the campaign and and the interactions I had with uh, family and and the interactions I I saw um, you know, during the times that we were filming with them, that the, the, the there was a lot of rhetoric and belligerence about you know, winning the election in the first place, and then obviously after the election. So it didn't, and then especially in the previous sort of few rallies that the president had uh, in Georgia, uh, 
after the election. So it wasn't sort of, it sort of made sense that that was the kind of thing that he would say and potentially do. But I wasn't sure. But anyway, we made a plan as to how we would deal with it if it did happen. So the idea was is that I would take some of the equipment that Michael didn't need if he was running around sort of filming people marching uh, to the car and I would move the car sort of as close as I could to the Capitol and then uh, and then sort of go from uh, and then go from there, try and see if I could sort of somehow extricate him if I needed to or whatever. Anyway, the plan didn't really work because uh, by the time I managed to get the car to where I needed to get to, the, uh, the I know I was sort of surrounded and Michael wasn't I wasn't able to communicate with him, so it was it was quite difficult. You were surrounded in your car. Yeah, there were a lot of people around that yeah. area where I was, and there was a lot of uh, was arguments it during the ellipse speech or after when they, they were marching on the Capitol. So, so, so I left. After I left before the speech had finished, uh, Michael stayed and, and filmed. Um, and then by the time you know, things were sort of kicking off at the Capitol, um, I was already sort of unable to really get out of where I was, out of sort of my, the area that I was in. And, and then I also couldn't communicate really with, uh, with Michael at all. Uh, but it was, uh, no, Michael's really the best person to speak to with respect to sort of his experiences on that day. So you're, you're a photographer. Director of photography, yeah, cameraman. Cameraman, he, what, goes with the crowd in? Yes, I mean, I mean, the footage is extraordinary. He was outside with the crowd, or you know, filming the rioters, protesters attempting to get into the Capitol, and I, I think it's the most extraordinary footage of that that um, I've seen. Wow! And of all the, of all the footage that we've seen out there on social media and more and more professional stuff, you think this is this is in some way new and gives us yes. a new perspective on what happened that day. Uh, I think it, yeah, well, maybe it, it enhances the perspective, um, more clarity and, and it's more visceral and uh, yeah. And, and there are sort of moments in there which are iconic as well. So wait and see. It's, it's uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's difficult to watch, but it's also important as well to see. As you were following this story along and following the family and the president through all of this, I think there was a debate among a lot of people who were covering this after the election over how serious the effort to overturn the results was. Some people who were immediately saying a coup is a, a slow motion coup is in the works. Other people saying these guys can't do anything. <laughs> you know, this is like the you know I remember people calling it the Keystone coup, like the reference to the old Keystone Cops uh, American TV series. Um, did you see it building in in a sort of scary way in the way that's been described most recently by the January 6th committee? Or did you think, um, you know, where were you on that spectrum as you were watching it up close? What was the alternative that you were just about to suggest? What was the alternative? And did I see? Well, I think there was a, at the time, I, we have a lot more evidence now, but at the time it was, um, oh, this, and, and some people at the White House would say this uh, publicly or anonymously, that this is just Trump venting, and yeah, Mark Meadows is bringing in all these crazy people um, to Giuliani and and Ellis and Eastman uh, and you know the My Pillow guy, and it's it's all a joke. It's not real. They're, they're not you know Mike Pence isn't going to do this. Elect they're not going to have alternate slates of electors. None of the pressure campaigns are going to work. Um, that it was just Trump blowing off steam and people around him humoring him. I think the January 6th committee takes a much different view of that now, and we have a lot more evidence. But I'm just wondering, in real time, your lens into this, were you becoming increasingly 
like, holy shit, I'm documenting the um, a slow motion coup, attempted coup in the United States, or um, could you see it as farcical as some people did at the time? No, I don't think that the president of the United States can do anything that's farcical because he's the president of the United States of America. And the idea that something like this wouldn't happen after having spent weeks telling 75 million people that their vote didn't count, I think it's slightly ludicrous to think that uh, that, that, that everything would be okay. As in, there is at least a chance that everything won't be okay. Yeah. Now, as to whether or not there was an intent, you know, an intention to cause, you know, using your words, a coup or, 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 or sort of something along those lines, I, I have no idea. You know, there were, there were thousands of people that were there and there was sort of a feeling of passion and adoration and towards the president, but also this belief in maybe a miracle might happen and that something might change and their, their man might be able to, to stay in office. So that there was, there was a real fervor. And then as it all progressed, that, that sort of turned from, I mean, look, there were kids there with their, with their, with their parents walking towards the capital. So there was sort of like this, it evolved over time into this you know, incredibly dangerous and tragic situation. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, that was my perspective of it all. Did you consider resisting the subpoena? Because as a journalist, look, I have a interview with Donald Trump in Mar-a-Lago from after January 6th that's unpublished. And if the January 6th committee came asking for that, um, there'd be a lot of questions I would have. And I think our attorneys at Politico would have. And there are tons of books that have been written about Donald Trump with transcripts and audio recordings of interviews that have not been turned over to that committee. And so, you know, the committee hasn't subpoenaed, for instance, uh, Bob Costa and Bob Woodward, right? Or Susan and Peter uh, for their book or any of the other journalists who have these um, long interviews uh, with the president and, and his family. Did you... Did it raise concerns for you in, 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 on a sort of First Amendment or journalistic level of, wait a second, I'm not sure that I should hand this stuff over? In terms of my position, you know, I think the idea of us uh, not wanting to uh, comply with one of the biggest sort of political investigations of all time would have you know, caused quite a lot of complications in terms of what the film is and what or rather what the series is and what the project was and and it would sort of i i mean i i think that to me the the events of january 6 which is really what this investigation is all about yeah is you no know, it was a terrible day you know, for america and 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 obviously we were there on that day and and people died and were injured and it's something that needs to obviously never happen again and so, so there's sort of a responsibility in a sense of it, the, the, the idea of saying no, it, you know, in that context to me sort of made me feel uncomfortable, especially as I'm not an American and the, the access that we had was, was, was just was unique. And so there was a sort of a perspective there. And I, I'm not even sure we would have been particularly successful in even in resisting uh, in, it. In resisting it. And, yeah, to me, the idea of resisting it just didn't uh, sort of um, you know, make make any sense. So it sounds like you felt, in a sense, that it was your duty to help the committee um, put together the most comprehensive record that they could. 
and you had something that could fill in some pieces, so you should turn it over. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like saying that the film or a series, a series comes out uh, and and then an investigation takes place afterwards, right? Like, would I resent the fact that the that that a, that a, an inquiry was using a finished and publicly released documentary for their investigation? I no. I mean, at the end of the day, they 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 have the power to uh, ask for it. Uh, we complied with it. I think I read somewhere that one of the things that that uh, weighed on you was that you saw some contradictions between what was said to the committee and what you um, recorded. No, uh, there's there's a. You know, I'm not a lawyer, right? And I'm not a politician. I just document sort of the facts and and, and the history. Uh, to me, Ivanka's statement that she made uh, to me in Ivanka's interview to me, uh, it wasn't at all surprising what she said. That you know the, the family have always, at least in my interactions with them, uh, been very supportive of their father. They love him very much. They admire him. Uh, Eric Trump calls his father his best friend, and so the idea that Ivanka would um, sort of echo some of her father's uh, thoughts was not sort of surprising at all. Uh, when she gave her her testimony to the investigation, uh, that there was a difference in what she had said to me, and and it'll be for others to determine whether that is uh, whether there was a difference, whether that difference is material, but it is what it is. And this was when she. She talked about how Bill Barr saying the fraud allegations were all bullshit and that weighed on her because she respected Barr. That's what she said to the committee. Well, I, th- that I, th- no, I think it was with respect to being asked a question about whether uh, she accepted Bill Barr's statement to AP, uh, where he said that the Department of Justice had concluded that there was no electoral fraud. Uh, she said that she had accepted that, that position. Um, Essentially, and because she respected him, right, 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 right. right. It was AP. It wasn't his testimony. It was something he said yes. to the press oh, yeah, exactly. back in yeah. December. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and then what what Ivanka said to me during the interview was was different to that. It seems. Well, well, just tell us what she what she told you generally that sort of seems to contradict what she said to the committee. Well, yeah. effectively, she I said she echoed her father's position on the election, which clearly uh, was not what um, Bill Barr said to AP. What's the most um, surprising thing um, you learned, the, the thing that you learned making this movie that um, you didn't understand about Trump and his family before you went into the project, the thing that shattered your expectations about them? I mean, I think one of the things that was always surprising was that they are quite real in a sense that they didn't wish to show. So isn't that if for some reason they didn't want to show their their... The, the fact that they're actually really you know, real people and they have sort of anxieties and they have concerns and they love people and they dislike people and they um, have sort of interesting relationship with each other. And I think, and they have stories and anecdotes and all sorts of different things that I, that they never really came out with during the time that they were, uh, well, I say they, but their father was in power. And I wonder whether or not that was sort of uh, on purpose or, or I mean, I, I don't know, but I think the, what I learned was that there, there is uh, something underneath that is, uh, that hasn't really been explored properly before. And I think that was quite, quite unique. 
it sounds um, you, like you have a well, you you treat you well, the way you're describing it, and this can get journalists who cover Trump and his family into trouble sometimes with uh, a certain segment of our very polarized electorate. But it sounds like a sympathetic portrayal. It sounds like you are humanizing them uh, in a way that you haven't seen before. I, if, I, I'm, if I'm if I'm reading it properly, I don't mean sure. that at all as a criticism. No, no, not at all. No, no. I think when people say you know the words of, I'm humanizing them, I don't think I did anything. I think that it's a fact. Well, they are humans. Exactly. That's my <laughs> point. Exactly. They are humans, and so that is that's what I think we capture. It, you know, we we sort of show that they are human, and that doesn't imply sort of a sense of. Um, what was the word you used before? A sense of sort of uh, of no, us being sort of forgiving or, or, sympathi- you or know, sympathy. sympathetic portrayal. Exactly. I think we, the portrayal is an authentic portrayal. It's a portrayal where you see them being who they really are. And and they gave as much as they wanted to give to uh, you, to as, me. Yeah, yeah. And, and we put in as much as we could put in to, to show that. I mean, I'll give you an example. Yeah. One of the uh, one scene in the first episode of the series, I ask Ivanka what her first memory is of her father. And she sort of thinks about it and she goes uh, that he used to sing to her when she, was, uh, when she was a child and no one knew about it until her mother caught him on the baby monitor. And uh, in the episode, I show that clip of Ivanka saying that to her father and we see his reaction to that particular message. And it's a very interesting moment. It's a moment where he shows, I don't want to sort of ruin it because he says something quite funny and it shows sort of a humor to him, which I'd never seen before. You also sort of see a sense of pride in his kids as he, as I show him other clips as well of what we had captured over the course of the project. So it is, uh, it, you, you get to see a side to him, which I think is normally quite hidden. Alex, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Really appreciate it. I know it's been a whirlwind this week. So I'm scared I, to look at my phone. I know. It's probably blowing up, but really appreciate it. And please stay safe. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And that's our show. Our producers are Afra Abdullah, Kara Tabor, and Brooke Hayes. Adam Allington is our senior producer. Jenny Ament is the executive producer of audio at Politico. Mike Zappler is Playbook's daily newsletter editor. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Ryan Lizza. Thanks for listening. Listener.